Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Search for Truth. This is your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston, and I'm your host, John. And in a moment, we'll hear Brian with his third talk in this series of four called The Triumph of Christ Crucified. This is where the image of a triumphal procession of a conquering Roman general and his soldiers is used by Paul to compare with aspects of the victorious conquest of Jesus Christ. If you want to follow the Bible readings, we'll be going to Ephesians, the Psalms and the Book of Numbers during the talk. So have those Bibles ready to hand if you want to follow. Now we're ready to hear from Brian. Hello there. By exploring one of the curl foe and historic terms used by God's Word, we are studying the big picture of the progress of Christianity in strategic terms as a triumphal procession throughout this world and across the pages of history. We are seeing God's work in Christ as an absolute triumph. What we are talking about is the way the Bible makes reference to a Roman triumph. What was one of those, you may ask, if you are just joining us for the first time this week? Well, we've seen that this was the victory parade of a military hero. If his achievement had been significant enough, he was given this great honour when he returned to Rome. And what was the honour? Well, it consisted of a procession from the banks of the River Tiber into the heart of the city of Rome, into the Forum, to the very Capitoline Hill itself, and so to the altar of Jupiter. Along the way, the temples stood open and their altar smoked with fragrant incense. At the head of the procession were the captive leaders and soldiers, usually walking in chains. Their captured weapons and treasures were carted along behind them. Next in line and all on foot came Rome senators and magistrates and civil servants, and then the general, the celebrated hero of the hour, in his four-horse chariot. A favoured companion might share that chariot with him, or sometimes it was his children who were in there. His officers and soldiers then followed, And somewhere in the procession, two white oxen were led for sacrifice to the Roman god Jupiter. Finally, bringing up the rear of the procession were the lowest of the low, the captive slaves. And all of this went to the accompaniment of music, clouds of incense and the strewing of flowers. As we've said, this was one of the most extravagant displays of Roman supremacy, the general being celebrated like a a godlike figure. And this was a a wonderful piece of ancient street theatre. Such was the profile of the kind of event in those days that it comes as no surprise to us that the Apostle Paul should adapt it as a biblical analogy for the career of the all-conquering Christ, whom the Bible presents as the one making a spectacle of the Apostles and leading believers in triumph after having already led captivity captive. And this same analogy of a Roman triumph when it's applied to the crucified Christ even features the subordination of angelic authorities. Today, we now want to pick up on the idea of taking captivity captive. Now, what might the Apostle Paul have had in mind by that? Here's what we read of it in Ephesians chapter 4. Reading from verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there we find the words which tell us that Christ led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to humanity. Now, I know some have rather linked this with the emptying of Upper Sheol, but let's examine the context. First of all, the captives are closely linked together with the gifts. The Apostle Paul was certainly one of God's gifts to his people. When Christ ascended and led captivity captive, just like a triumphant Roman general, he gave back captives who are here referred to as gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. Judging by the fact this language in Ephesians chapter 4 is lifted from Psalm 68, it appears Paul's blending in a second analogy, not from the then contemporary Roman world, but from Israel's historic Old Testament experience. Let's check out Psalm 68 and reading from verse 1. It says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those who hate him flee before him. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O God, when you went forth before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you look with envy, O mountains with many peaks, at the mountain which God has desired for his abode? Surely the Lord will dwell there forever. The chariots of God are myriads, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them as at Sinai in holiness. You have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. They have seen your procession, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Ascribe strength to God, his majesty is over Israel, and his strength is in the skies. O God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. That Psalm 68 is a majestic psalm, which traces God's journey with his people from Egypt and then from Mount Sinai all the way through the desert before ascending up Mount Zion, where the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolised the Lord's presence, was finally placed into Solomon's temple. The original reference to captives and gifts would appear in the context of this historical setting to relate to the Levites whom God took for himself and gave back to assist the priests. That's because this is all about God's procession and ascension to his rightful place among a people committed to serving him in his temple. 
Let me remind you of what we read in Numbers chapter 18 from the beginning of the chapter. The Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's household with you shall bear the guilt in connection with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear the guilt in connection with your priesthood. But bring with you also your brothers, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you, while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. And they shall thus attend to your obligation and the obligation of all the tent, but they shall not come near to the furnishings of the sanctuary and the altar, or both they and you will die. They shall be joined with you and attend to the obligations of the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, but an outsider may not come near you. So you shall attend to the obligations of the sanctuary and the obligations of the altar, so that there will be no longer any wrath on the sons of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your fellow Levites from among the sons of Israel. They are a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord, to perform the service for the tent of meeting. But you and your sons your sons with you, shall attend to your priesthood for everything concerning the altar and inside the veil, and you are to perform service. I am giving you the priesthood as a bestowed service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. This idea about who the captives are agrees better with the New Testament idea of evangelists and teachers, instead of Levites, being given now by Christ for the equipping of the body. So just to clarify again what we're saying, it seems that just as God gave the Levites to assist the priests in the Old Testament, when we come to the New Testament, the ascended Lord now gives evangelists and teachers to assist the body of Christ. The evangelists and teachers now, like the Levites before, are the captives who have become the gifts. Certainly Paul was one of those so gifted and given, and he prized highly the stewardship given to him to proclaim God's grace to Gentiles. So the message for us here is, let's not give up on speaking doctrinal truth lovingly to fellow believers as we aim to equip each other for service and aspiring towards unity in it. There are so many facets of this overall victorious picture that we've been looking at, this one about the Roman triumph. At times, Paul sees himself as Christ's captive, at another like an incense bearer. His view of it all embraces good as well as bad angels and the saved as well as unsaved of humanity. But how does it all hang together? Images of degraded captives as well as those victoriously raised and seated with the victor? Yes, the reconciling viewpoint is the realisation that to be triumphed over by Christ is to share his triumph. Christ is the universal conqueror, marching in triumph down through the corridors of time and over all of this vanquished world until all creation owns his sway.
So, has Christ captured our hearts and captivated them with his love? Now, to sum up with some information. First, if you'd like to have the booklet, which is a transcript of the whole series of talks, it's available free. And you can have more than one copy if you want to, but just make sure to let us have your postal address, otherwise you won't get them. Ask for the title, The Triumph of Christ Crucified. There are also back issues, and I'll tell you how you can get those in a moment. But first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester LE5, 6LN, UK. And now here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you've missed any programmes or you wish to listen again, we have a library of podcasts which you can locate at searchfortruth.podbean.com and uh, some past titles are also available at Amazon on amazon.co.uk Kindle ebooks. Type Search for Truth series into the search box and a growing list of books will appear. Sadly, we must leave you now, but thanks for the privilege of your company with us. Next week, we look forward to your company again and we have the last talk in this series, so don't miss it. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, uh, from David, from our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you in the coming week. To 